when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome to the Raptors of Everything podcast for Yahoo Sportscan. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined on a Friday afternoon by Big V. Not a lot was happening, so we decided to do a random podcast. And then as soon as we decided to do this podcast, uh, we had some news items roll in. So let's touch on really quickly. The Raptors finally getting a Christmas Day game. Are you thrilled to be working on Christmas? Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm not thrilled to be working on Christmas, but it is what it is, I think. It's kind of overdue. I thought I expected the Raptors to get a Christmas game the year before once they got Kawhi because I thought, you know, whether it was uh, I, I thought Kawhi going back to San Antonio on Christmas was kind of a no brainer. Perfect. Uh, f- for whatever reason, that didn't happen. But I think one of the biggest traditions of Christmas has been the, you know, the defending champions hosting on Christmas. Uh, and that thankfully uh, seemed to be a greater a tradition than uh, Madison Square Garden on Christmas. So now we get that, and now we get to say that, you know, the Raptors ended the KD Warriors and the tradition of the Knicks on Christmas. Yeah, because, look, the Knicks on Christmas is just, I mean, I get it. I understand. It's yeah. New York City. It, it's, a, it's a whole thing. But, like, I remember a couple of years ago, remember when John Wall was playing the Mellow Knicks? And oh, think, man. Yeah, John Wall did, like, a 360 layup, and I was watching that, and I'm just thinking – this shit is trash. Like, no one cares. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe the Raptors aren't playing. Look, it doesn't really bother me that much. I actually didn't think the Raptors would get a Christmas Day game just based on sort of how many other matchups are out there. Um, what I'm actually really happiest about is that the Raptors are playing the Celtics, which, I mean, I just I just want a big showcase, a big stage where the Raptors can play these freaking Celtics because I feel like out of all the teams that you might have animosity for, obviously the Wizards are up there. Um the Celtics, for, uh, as far as Raptors fans, are definitely one of the most hated rivals, even though maybe the Celtics don't necessarily feel that way back. But it would be nice to uh, to, to run pick and roll at Enos Cantor 25 times and uh, have Pascal score 35 or something like that. But, you know, that's good news. It's good news. Um, other news in terms of schedule releases. Um, Before we go to that, yeah. the one thing I am afraid of is Kemba in Toronto. <laughs> Man. Because... <laughs> That's always been a problem. That's not going to stop. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, a couple of years back, I think it was like maybe three or four days before Christmas, uh, Kemba was still with the Hornets. And I remember it was like a really ugly game, like, you know, classic. If you play Steve Clifford, you will play an ugly game. And um, Kemba hit like a baseline step back and killed the Raptors. I mean, it was like 2015, maybe 2016, maybe. But yeah, that was hard. I was, I was at that one. That was uh, not a fun game to attend. Anyway. Other scheduled release notes. Um, Kawhi is coming back to Toronto on December 11th. That's his one and only appearance in Toronto. Um, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any special thoughts on this other than it's going to be a very emotionally charged night and hopefully the Raptors win? Yeah, hopefully the Raptors win. Uh, I, I guess the Raptors will be back to peaking in December and January. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the perfect time to play the Raptors. Yeah. Because the Raptors, we are very, very good as a team in December. Yeah. So I expect uh, an awesome performance from the team on that night. I expect the crowd to be awesome. I expect uh, mostly cheers uh, for Kawhi. I'm, I'm sure there will be some fans that, that are frustrated and annoyed and whatever. And uh, there might be a few boos for him just from that minority. But I, for the most part, I expect – Plenty of cheers for Kawhi. Uh, we don't know when Danny's coming back, but uh, I'm sure that'll be a fun night as well for him. Uh, that that I expect to be full of, full of cheers. Oh yeah, uh, Danny will get nothing but cheers. But yeah, Kawhi. Uh, yeah, the atmosphere is going to be awesome. I'm sure uh, they'll present him with his ring and uh, make a fun night of uh, out of it. And then the game as well. You know, you look at the Clippers. You look at 
Paul George and Kawhi potentially coming into town. I mean, ho- <coughs> ho- ho- hopefully, hopefully it's not a low management. <laughs> <laughs> we sure? We sure? We better be happy on a back-to-back because uh, we might be getting a lot of Vivica Zubac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know it's possible, but I I guess that would kind of be classic if, if Kawhi just skipped the trip uh, to the East Coast <laughs> and said, "Yeah, I'm not I'm not doing the East Coast in December." <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure Paul George will love carrying the team by himself. That's uh, definitely what Paul George signed up for. Um, no, that will be uh, definitely will be a fun game, and I think you know it'll be one of those times where the Raptors are firmly in the spotlight. Probably will be the most anticipated game of the season, right? When you consider the fact that. Um, you know, it's between Kawhi getting his ring and all the focus will be on sort of where the Raptors are as compared to then. It's sort of like you get dumped and then you sort of meet your ex again and you're like, so I'll make sure I look good that day. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah. So um, that's that's going to be very interesting. But mostly the reason why we decided to do this podcast, well, one, we were bored and we're sitting at our desks. Um, you know, you were editing uh, Katie Heindel's very excellent NBA vacations, which is up now, which is up you now. Can, you can check that you on Yahoo Sports read it Canada. On Yahoo Sports Canada, um, what it's was awesome. Fa- what was your favorite vacation photo from that list that you just? Uh, Jody Meeks curated? is in Dubai. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you recommend Jody to see in Dubai? Oh man, no, no. He he, he seems like he's having a good, uh, good time. You know, riding some camels, checking out the sand dunes. So uh, I think he's doing it right. Uh, who else? I, I think Corey Joseph is in, was in Dubai too. There were a couple of pictures of him. Okay. Um, okay. It was definitely the Middle East. Uh, and then who else do we have? Uh, Jimmy Butler was all over the place. He was in Belgium. He was in Amsterdam. Um, you know, not too many guesses as to what he was doing in Amsterdam. Hey, uh, man, listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he went to enjoy your life. He went to England as well. Got some high tea in. I was gonna say, yeah, it's it's almost as good as your NBA vacations. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, so you know, we were just we, anyway, we were just chilling at our desks and we were just kind of bored, and we kind of decided let's just get you know into a room. Let's let's do a quick podcast. And I think the idea we both kind of agreed on was what lessons we took from this finals run. And yeah. Uh, I think first off, I actually have to credit Ben Falk of Cleaning the Glass because he actually just wrote something about this. Which, by the way, if you're not subscribed, yeah, I read Cleaning that the last Glass, night. That yeah, awesome. it, it's it's re- it's a really good site. Uh, I think you know Ben. He was like a former. I think he was in the Sixers analytics staff under Hinky. Um, Blazers as well. Oh, and Blazers as well, right? So you know he he's just he, he looks at it as a very sort of analytical sort of um, frame but he also does a lot of video stuff it's it's good it's a subscription based thing but i think it's only like f- seven bucks a month or whatever you should definitely look you, into you can that. set up like different types of like if you want oh, yeah. access to the stats and the articles or whether you just want the stats or you just want the articles and you can pay different amounts accordingly so okay um, it's definitely well worth it for whoever subscribes right and one of the you know most recent things that you wrote about just was about sort of why the Raptors won and sort of lessons we can take from them. And so um, I, ca- I came up with a list of 10 things that we learned from this run. Um, uh, you know, and I guess we can just sort of go through that. Obviously, you have a couple of things that you thought of as well. But um, I'll just start here. I think one of the biggest things we took from the finals run is that if you're going to go and win in the finals, you need two-way players. And, and, and I don't mean just two-way as in, like, you can contribute – um, on offense and defense, I mean, like you know, just multi-dimensional players. And I think one thing that really, really stood out throughout the playoffs was just like, you know, you 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 got guys like Danny Green who are more specialists, and those guys will tend to struggle more and more, right? You, you, if you don't have sort of a adaptability in your game, like it's just not going to go well for you. And you know, you compare that to someone like Marcus Gasol, who you know necessarily wasn't always dominating throughout the playoffs, but it always felt like he was contributing because he could do so many different things and. Um, you know, I, I think right now with the NBA the way it is, so many players are wings, so many players are guards. Those players are sort of naturally predisposed to doing many things, but especially with fives, it's very rare to have that sort of five that can do so many things like Mark can. And so that's one of my takeaways is that just you need multidimensional players at every position. Yeah, and I, I would say um, when you look at the MVPs, when we talk about takeaways from the finals, you look at the finals MVPs these last few years. You're talking about Kawhi. You're talking about LeBron. You're talking about Andre Iguodala. Like, you know, 
Kevin Durant. Those those are the guys that, the, that are winning finals MVPs. So, you know, especially in the Clippers case, when you get both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on your team, you're stacked at the one position that you need to win those big games. So I think that's another thing that stood out to me when you look at the influence. I mean, even for those few minutes that KD was on the court, you could see the difference, right? Um, another thing I would add would, would be just from watching that series is the importance of having guys uh, that basically let the game uh, be within the 94 by 50. And so what I mean by that is outside of game one, every team was winning on the road. You know what I mean? Yep. And, you know, game one, you can say that the Raptors were hyped. There, there was that extra adrenaline from playing their their first, for many of them, their first ever finals game. Uh, the crowd was incredible. Yep. And you could say, you know, that that made a difference. But after that, you could see the Warriors weren't in- intimidated by the Toronto crowd. You, the Raptors weren't definitely weren't in- intimidated by playing at Oracle, which is something <laughs> you wouldn't uh, have four, anticipated. Oracle, actually. Four <laughs> no at Oracle this year. Um and so I think that that's a huge thing as well. If if you're trying to win those big finals games or, or even, you know, conference finals games, you you need to be able to sort of keep the game within those 94 by 50, not be influenced by whatever's going on right. uh, with the crowd or just, you know, in terms of drama off the court. So I think you saw, you, you saw on both sides players that weren't in, in, intimidated by that and that reflected in the results. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And I think... You know, one of the things that you can take away from this run is like, you know, in addition, in addition, to sort of just like not being afraid to play on the road, and sort of having that you know mental focus. Like that was something that I, I swear to God, it was asked at every single one of those press conferences. Was like, how much is Kawhi's steely presence rubbed <laughs> off on the rest of the team? And I think what they're trying to say is that like, how much is that sort of, how valuable is that mentality to sort of stay focused, stay locked in? I mean, one of the most, uh, just one of the funniest watershed moments throughout the playoffs, and there were many of them was reporters asking Kawhi after losing game two in Milwaukee. And in pretty devastating fashion, Milwaukee had smacked the Raptors. And the reporter asked him, Kawhi, where do you go from here? And he goes to To Toronto Toronto. for game three. You know what I mean? And that's just – it's kind of a reflection of his mindset. Like he's just like, this is what the task is at hand. Yes, we have dropped the first two, but we're going to go back and, you know, we're going to reverse this thing. And that's exactly what happened. You know what I mean? And you have – you know, I I think – Again, it sucks that Kawhi's gone, but, like, yeah, you have to appreciate the fact that, you know, that's sort of the leadership that he's talked about. Like, Nick Nurse talked about afterwards. He's like, you know what? Um, you know, when the Raptors went on the road to Golden State after being, uh, you know, tying the series at 1-1, you know, Nick was like, all right, let's go get one in Golden State. And Kawhi said, you know, F that. Let's get two. Yeah. And they did that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um that mentality matters. And I think, you know, that, that's sort of the confidence is, is one aspect of mentality. I think the other aspect of that mentality is sort of just, like, you need, like, determination, right? And mm-hmm. I think that was one of the common themes. Like, you look at the playoffs, you're not, not everything is going to go well for you. Especially if you're a role player, you're going to have lots of low moments. You're going to have a lot of high moments. Yeah. And you need guys that can stick with it and, and ride it through. And you don't – and we've seen in previous years, like, I remember Terrence Ross used to be one of those guys where, you know, it's not necessarily a detriment to Terrence and sort of mentality or whatever, but, like, Things would not go well for Terrence in the playoffs, and then he would sort of withdraw, and then all of a sudden you lose a guy that's a key piece of your rotation, yeah. and you're, you're suffering from it. And, and you look at what Fred went through. That's as bad as what anybody can ever play mm-hmm. in terms of um, just, you know, I mean, he played, he had seven points in seven games in against the Sixers series, but then he comes back so strong, and he even wins the finals of MVP vote. And you know what I mean? And so you need that determination as well as sort of just that mentality of, like, not being afraid. And you need your coach to believe in you. And you look at through those tough times when it would have been easy for Nick Nurse to bench Van Vliet or bench Marcus Gasol after those first two games against Milwaukee or bench Norman Powell. And he kept saying, hey, we're going to need these guys. He could have even gone away from Danny Green. Uh, and then, you know, in one of Danny Green's worst games, it goes to double overtime. He ends up calling a play for him to hit a three to start off the overtime against right. the Bucks, right? So uh, things like that, I think, matter too. And, you know, we, we talked about Kawhi's calm with Nick Nurse. It was always, hey, we'll take every game as it comes and we'll respond accordingly. He, he even said himself, you know, he didn't think 0-2 to Milwaukee was a bad spot. He felt confident enough that they would come back and get both at home and then make it a series so i think again you know yeah you lose Kawhi and danny and that is going to have a significant impact not on the ceiling of uh next year team next year's team but 
when you talk about the intangible value of the Raptors now knowing what it takes with those guys that remain on the roster, that's something that can't be taken away. And again, when you look at this finals and you look at the Warriors and how competitive they were able to be despite the injuries, it stemmed from them knowing what it takes and being able to fight through those difficult moments. And so now even with without Kawhi, without Danny, they're going to be able to fight through those difficult moments knowing that they've done it before, understanding what it takes. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is where, like, you know, having – having veteran guys around really helps. I think a guy like Danny, like he struggled or whatever, but you never really heard about it. You know, mm-hmm. you never really saw him uh, sulk or anything like that. And even a guy like Marcus Gasol, who I remember after game two, he was just getting destroyed. Yeah. And I remember him saying, it's, I'm way better than this. It's, it's on me. I take responsibility of the loss. He wasn't the only player that played poorly in game two, right. but he put it on himself. And the way he bounced back in game three, um, you know, play, I think he was one of the guys that played like 40 some minutes in that double overtime game and sort of the way he sort of bounced back throughout, you know, the rest of the, the playoff run. I mean, in the, in the finals, he had a, what, a 20 point game in game one, a couple of 17 point yep. games, just, you know, really good throughout. Um, again, it just you need that determination and that sort of um, that approach. And even a guy like Serge Ibaka, right? Like, man, he wasn't really featured that much. Uh, and he, you know, he had a great start to the regular season, and then the second half of the regular season, he sort of faded in prominence. Uh, and he was like basically just a bench guy, and he was like playing against like Kem Birch, and people were screaming on t- on Twitter every single time he faced up against Nick Vucevic. But then, you know, you go from that to having like the incredible confidence to like hit, you know, the three and Ben Simmons' eye. But seriously, like his scoring throughout the the, the playoffs and that the behind the back dribble and then fade away <laughs> over Demarcus Cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's something like you you need that kind of confidence and I think uh you know that that matters a lot. Um one other thing I Surge think, is definitely not lacking in confidence. We know that. Oh no. Especially not after this. No. Especially not after this, man. Uh shout out Serge Ibaka. Uh one other thing I took away. Well, there's a lot of things actually. Yeah. Uh game ones don't matter. Yes. Yeah. So I mean obviously in Toronto we have this history of losing game 1. And people uh, getting very down the team after losing game one. I mean, after this playoff run, it doesn't really matter. So we can go through the four game ones. Game one against Orlando, probably the most memorable game one. Right? You get two defensive players of the year making a mistake on defense on a crucial play. So DJ Augustine, a former Raptor, who the Raptors were like, we're good. We'd rather have like, I don't know if we can beat out Dwight Bikes for a rotation spot. Like, we're good on DJ Augustine. That guy comes back and scores 25 points. Meanwhile, Kyle Lowry has zero, and the Raptors lose game one of the playoffs. Um, I mean, you know, obviously that didn't really matter. Unless the series <laughs> Raptors won four straight. Um, yeah, so, I mean, to your point, I remember in the moment how frustrated we were oh, yeah. with Kyle Lowry's performance because you were thinking, you know, you finally got this A1 type guy in Kawhi where uh, and Pascal scoring the ball the way he is and so you're able to put Kyle Lowry in the best position to succeed and he comes up with zero points uh, and so obviously you know Raptors fans looking at the game one history it's like you know skies falling all over again this and that but again they just move on win the next four move on to Philly um, and again that that game one wasn't indicative necessarily of what the series was going to be, right? The yeah. way the way the Raptors stomped on them in game one, you you thought, oh, they're just going to keep rolling. I mean, we thought it was just easy. We thought yeah. it was easy because I mean, well, first off, Kawhi and Pascal combined for seventy four points on very efficient <laughs> shooting on only thirty eight <laughs> shots. Um, Pascal with twenty nine, Kawhi with a playoff high forty five. Uh, just a sensational performance. And it felt like after that game one, it was like, the Sixers can't match up with the Raptors. You know right. what I mean? Like, Marcus Gasol is holding down Joel Embiid. Tobias Harris can't do anything against Pascal Siakam. Um, the Raptors are actually surprisingly pretty good at guarding Redick. And, of course, Kawhi was just like a killer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Ben Simmons wasn't doing anything. So, we're like, this is going to be great. But then all of a sudden, that series becomes just like a grudge match that goes mm-hmm. seven games. The Raptors... Honestly, they need a bit of luck, to be honest. Because yeah. at the end of that seven games, it felt like Kawhi was scoring um, surge, but like they needed surge to just like play out of his mind in Game Seven. Um, and then, of course, they need those four bounces on shooters bounces. That's like the only Game Seven buzzer beating game winner ever in the playoffs. Yep, 
ever. Yep. That's crazy. Unforgettable moment, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you can say, you know, that shot doesn't go in. You never know what happens from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe some people might say it wasn't worth it. Right. Because then, I mean, think about the other the the other side of the coin, right? So then that's a second-round exit. Kawhi, 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 yeah, I mean, Kawhi yeah. left with, with the chip, so he definitely. was definitely leaving that situation. Yeah. Um, and then it's and then now you know from the trade you pretty much have nothing to show for it, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, essentially, you know, at the end of the day, it was worth it because of all the moments. Um, the Raptors were in a position where they could afford to swing for the fences because you knew you knew you, you, the time was ticking on that core. And you were going to enter a rebuild anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that shot goes out. You lose in the second round again. I don't know, man. It's yeah. tough to validate. Um, yeah. And honestly, even if the Raptors bowed out against the Bucks, which, again, game one against the Bucks, I don't think it really had much bearing on the rest of the series. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that game was about Kyle Lowry and Brooke Lopez exchanging 30-point games. Yeah. Like, What? You know yeah. what I mean? That game was a complete anonymous. Yeah. And, and, like, and the narrative at the time was, how could you waste this 30-point exactly. performance from Kyle? Yeah. Right? I was like, there's no way Kyle could do this again. It's like, well, actually, Kyle averages 20 points for the whole series yeah. and plays really good against the Warriors yeah. as well. So yeah. it is actually just funny. But, like, I mean, the rest of that game, it was, like, weirdly close. It was – the Bucks were in control the whole way, but the Raptors made it close. And then Danny Green has that one play where he's dribbling the ball. He gets tripped mm-hmm. by Chris Middleton, but the referees don't yeah. see it. And then uh, Middleton goes the other way and dunks. Get the breakaway. Yep. That's basically the game changing play. And but like again, that 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 one that one performance in game one, it was just like a complete anom- anom- anomaly. And yeah, you know the rest of the series turns out to be different. And even game one against the Warriors, like I think that one probably was the most informative for the rest of the series. But I even remember coming into the game, a lot of the talk from the Warriors was just like, honestly, we just want to play the Raptors one time to see what they're about because we don't actually know. So they literally treated it almost as like you know a reconnaissance mission you know what i mean yeah, they just wanted yeah, to see yeah, like yeah. what's going on like let's scout this team how do we guard pascal how do they attack because they hadn't literally hadn't seen this version of the raptors ever before right. right and so so i mean now that we're talking this out loud i think we can kind of add a caveat to the game ones don't matter the game ones don't matter when you have the ability to adjust mm-hmm. when you have the ability to be flexible Again, going back to the point about having two-way players right and what changed that series once the raptors put Kawhi on Giannis. Right, oh, that that was almost like a new game one, right? Oh, yeah. And so now Kawhi is on Giannis, and Milwaukee couldn't adjust from that, and they lose four straight, right? So I think having that ability to be malleable and having guys that are so smart on the roster and being able to recognize diff- different things, Nick Nurse out of the blue saying, "Hey, let's go to a box and one," and everyone being like, "Hey, all right, let's do it," and. It, having the success that it did that shows that you know it doesn't matter what nick nurse puts on the table these guys are you know have a tremendous amount of respect to trust him to say hey this is what he thinks this is what we'll roll with and and then they have uh the cow the talent and the brain to execute it yeah and i, I think you know like flexibility is a two-way street like it's it's about your players being able to execute and it's also about being the coach but like yeah i mean flexibility in coaching is big man like mm-hmm. and, and and again, this is not a dig necessarily to Dwayne Casey because I don't think he had the same deck to work with as right. Nick Nurse ever did. Definitely. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't think Dwayne was as adaptable. I know. I think when he did try to adapt, he will pull out very strange things like CJ Miles on Kevin Love. CJ Miles on Kevin Love. Like, oh, randomly, baby will come into the game when it's close, and like, oh, T- Tyler Hansborough will play. You know what I mean? Like, it was sort of those moves are sort of reactive and ultimately I don't think the team was prepared to, it never felt like they made a key adjustment and the team was like, bet we're going to do this perfectly. The only time that actually really worked out well was 2017 with the bucks where you put Norm, Norm in the starting lineup. Yeah. In, in place of uh, JV. And it felt like, okay, the team really just ran that to perfection and won three straight against the bucks. But you know what I mean? I think what Nick did this year was that he really approached the season as if, this is a whole – this is an experiment. Part of it was, you know, there's a lot of injuries, so you got to try different things just because, you know, you don't have the same players every night. But I think there was a concerted effort by Nick to try out different things. And by the time the playoffs came, like, 
you saw things. Like, I think one of the biggest things that paid dividends was, you know, as you mentioned, like Nick going to that double big lineup, which, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It happened, like, maybe five or ten times during the season. I would always note it during ten things. And mostly what I would say was, like, it doesn't look great. Yeah. Spacing is awkward, you know. Uh, aside from one time when they played, like, basically the Windy City Bulls, like, they, <laughs> it didn't really work well. And all of a sudden, you have it working great in both the Bucks series and also – uh, in the Sixers series, and honestly, that's what saved them. So, like, you need yeah. to have flexibility and creativity as a coach, and I think that's honestly what doomed the Bucks a little bit. It was like, man, all they did all season was spread the floor, five out, Giannis takes this guy one-on-one or wet the screen, and then all of a sudden they, they hoist a three, and, like, you know, that was good enough to kill teams the regular season, like, absolutely obliterate them. But then you saw in the playoffs, like, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't even shoot better than 33% one time in six games. You know what I mean? And there's there's ways you can scheme against the team if that team only does one thing. And I think that's what made the Raptors such a difficult opponent is that they could play different styles. And they had throughout yeah. the playoffs. And, I mean, even going into next season now, you know, it's not like, oh, we won a championship or this is the style that we're married to. He, he talked about, you know, it was in that Jackie McMullen story on ESPN yesterday that he's thinking about putting Pascal at the three because it's like you got 20-plus shots that you got to get up. You know, frankly, it's probably easier to do that if you if you have Pascal at the three and you have Serge come in at the four and play alongside Gasol, right? And uh, the fact that again, you know, just because one thing worked one time, he doesn't assume that it's going to work the next time. He's already th- thinking about being creative uh, for next season and just figuring out what's the best fit um, and sort of just you know bringing a clean slate towards next season. I think that's big as well. Yeah, for sure. Shout out Nick Nurse, man. He did a really good job as a rookie head coach. Um, what else? What else? Did I know uh, size matters a lot. Yeah. And I think we kind of already knew this, but especially in the playoffs, like I, it's, I mean, obviously a fully healthy Warriors team would have given the Raptors <laughs> a ton of trouble, um, and even a banged up Warriors team did give the Raptors a lot of scares. But um, it was the Sixers that really, really looked like they were going to upset yep. and topple the Raptors. And really, if you look at the Sixers, what made them successful was. They were just so freaking big across the board. Like, the Raptors just couldn't get shots off for a large portion of the game. Yeah. And, you know, that's what happens when you have, like, a jumble point guard um, in uh, Ben Simmons. And also you have a seven foot three guy in Embiid at center. So, yeah, you know, size really, really does matter. And I think one way to look at it is sort of like the way Fred played, right? Like, I think Fred was matched up against Michael Carter-Williams in the first round. That's tough. Yep. And then he was matched up against Michael Carter-Williams again in the second round. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> no, okay. He was actually against Redick. Um, uh, no, but like, but, but the okay. other thing that the Sixers did is when they went away from uh, when Simmons was on the bench, that Jimmy playing the point. Yeah. Right. So that that's again another tough matchup for Van Vliet. Or even like James Ennis. Yeah. Like he exactly. blocked a shot like four times. Yeah. James Ennis blocked Van Vliet four times. Yeah. So um, again, the size uh, that Sixers that the Sixers brought to the table was a huge factor. They've obviously doubled up on that now. Um, you look at you know most likely it's going to be Horford and Embiid playing together, and then you have Tobias and Simmons and um, who's it? Uh, Josh Richardson. Uh, so you know defensively that that's going to be a scary lineup uh, to deal with. But again, that that sort of lends credence to at least in that matchup, the Raptors going to Ibaka and Gasol more right because. Uh, against those two bigs that's probably what you ideally want to do so i i think it's going to be interesting you know against those bigger teams uh i wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of ibaka and gosal next season yeah um that's hopefully if they don't get traded yeah that's hopefully that's that yeah that's that's the other side of the equation big caveat yeah um but no seriously size matters man i mean like yo when the raptors went to that lineup yeah, I think game four, desperation kicked in. Part of it was Danny Green wasn't playing well. But, like, the Raptors went to, in the fourth quarter, in game four, Kyle Lowry passed uh, Kawhi Leonard at two. And Pascal at three. Yeah. Ibaka at four. And Gasol at five. And it's just, like, that's just a line that we've never seen before. It's, like, mm-hmm. so big across the board. Kyle is obviously short, but he plays bigger than his size. Yeah. And again, this this speaks to sort of a and he can defend in the post, and he can defend the post, which is huge against you know Jimmy Butler, uh, Draymond Green, Draymond Green, Tobias Harris, stuff like that. Um, But you know, to that point of like the 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 big lineups, like you also need guys that are like flexible to play that. And I think one thing that worked really well was like 
you know, because offense was so scarce against the Sixers, it was sort of they, they had to do, you know, very creative things to score. Like, they, they started playing, like, high-low action where, you know, Serge Ibaka would duck into the post, Marcus Gasol would, like, hit him with a high-low pass, yeah. and he would just, like, finish a layup. And that's something that, like, it's not like a out-of-the-box type of play. Like, that's right. literally been a basic play in basketball for, like, 60 years. Mm-hmm. But, like, you just don't see it nowadays in NBA basketball. There's not two big lineups. But, like, the fact that you got Gasol and Ibaka and the, and the two of them have played together in the Spanish national team and you got Sergio Scariolo, like, as an assistant coach literally right there, um, you know, I, I just think that that's some creative stuff where, like, if you're in the, if you're going to win the playoffs, you got to play multiple ways. And the Raptors have consistently played multiple ways throughout this playoff run. And that's why they won. Um, unselfishness. I feel like it's a it's a real virtue, mm-hmm. and I think uh, the the poster boy for that is is probably Danny Green. Because again, in the finals, Danny Green didn't play that badly. Like there were some games he played poorly, he didn't shoot well, but like he wasn't playing that badly. No, but like the Raptors would, you know, they're like, okay, cool. Fred's gonna start the second half. Yeah, and he was cool with it. He didn't say anything. You know what yep. I mean? I think the type of unselfishness you sort of saw throughout this team, like no one really complained about their roles. You know, you just had no quabbles or anything like that. Um, you know, no one was sort of harboring any sort of sour you know, thoughts or anything like that. And you need everyone on the same page. And in order to yeah. do that, you need to be unselfish. And um, I yeah. thought the Raptors were a very unselfish team. For sure. And, you know, one thing I get curious about when I think about those moments where it could go either way and they opt to show leadership and their willingness to sacrifice is how much of that has to do with them really recognizing that, you know, the championship, that pot of gold really is there at the end of the rainbow. You know what I mean? And I think maybe when you go through the 82 games and you don't believe deep down that it's possible, maybe you know, then those individual goals start to creep in more where you're saying, hey, we're not getting a championship anyway. I might as well get my buckets. I might as well, you know, get my playing time, whatever it may be. But I think when when it when the championship becomes a realistic goal, um, I think that willingness to sacrifice uh, and, you know, the ability to lead all those things stand out much more right and uh so th- that's one thing you know i want i feel like is b- a bit of a two-way street where again now where you have all these guys van vliet kyle lowry marcus all serge Ibaka, all going into contract years it's going to be interesting i mean fred's already put his hand up saying hey there's 20 plus shots on the table i'm coming for them you know what i mean <laughs> so <laughs> so it's going to be see, uh, interesting to see how that plays out right and so mm-hmm. cuz on on some level i'm sure you know uh some of them are thinking in the back of their mind hey the raptors fans they kind of got house money right now they're they're, they're going to ride this season on the high of last season you know there's nothing that can really bring them down right so i might as well get mine <laughs> yeah and again these are vets that are on contract years and I don't know. It's a conversation I think Nick has to probably have with the team, and probably Masai as well, just to sort of see, like, hey, where are you guys at with everything? You right. Know what I mean, like, what are your expectations? Because, you know, it's important. contract years are very important. And if you look at Kyle, this is probably his last big payday. You look at uh, who Kyle, by the way, just got a new agent, although par- partially that's because his last agent was caught up in a college scandal. Um, so, you know, there's a situation there. There's a situation with Marcus Saul because, again, he's 34 years old. This is also probably his last big payday. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with Tabaka, like he's up there in age in yeah. terms of just experience, and so it's it's it, it's it's there for him as well. And also, you know, uh, Pascal's you know heading into restricted free agency after next season, so that's going to be a big year for him if he's not already locked down mm-hmm. into an extension. And even Fred, you know, what I mean, Fred has talked about how he wants to you know to to be a starting point guard in this league. Yeah. He feels like it deserves, it. and I think after the playoffs, especially the second half of the playoffs, what he showed he can do against the toughest teams in the league. I mean, he's got a pretty good case. He's got a pretty damn good case. So, I mean, managing sort of unselfishness is going to be a big thing. But I think just sort of not even unselfishness, but just getting everyone on the same page is it's yeah. very difficult. You know what I mean? And I think it takes a special group of guys to really put their differences aside and just say, "Hey, we're focused on this. Nothing else really matters." Because like you look at other teams, man. Like what in the middle of well, Houston had a golden opportunity to to finally beat the Warriors this year. Yeah. And what do they do? You literally have Chris Paul and James Harden fighting each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> in, like, the most important moment. And, you know, it's just not unusual. Like, you see the way Kyrie played against the Bucs. Like, you know, honestly, yeah, look the at Celtics. the Celtics all year. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not easy. This sort of this sort of cohesiveness is rare. Yeah. 
And I think, again, you know, you know, I, I've talked about how contractors might impact them. But at the same time, you have to give cre- credit to Masai and the rest of the front office going out and get, getting guys that they believed uh, would fit into the culture and never bring these types of issues, right? And so um, when you look at uh, Fred Van Vliet, you know, I thought this was something that didn't get too big in the media. But, you know, he very, he very sort of quietly said, oh, you know, there were times where um, I felt like I should be getting more playing time. There were times where Norm felt like he should be getting more playing time. There were times where Serge felt like he should be playing more. But everyone sort of put all that aside to win. Yeah. Right? And based on sort of their track record, you would assume that that trend will continue going into this season. Um, whether... That's the reality. Like even Pat Riley coined the term, you know, that, that theory of more and uh, the disease of the more. disease of more, you know, of, you know, once you've got that satisfaction of scratching that itch with the championship, you know, now you now you feel more free in terms in terms of chasing those individual goals. So I, th- I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out next year. Right. Um, one thing, another lesson from the finals run. I feel like depth doesn't really matter until it does which is one of those <laughs> things where it's like i mean you look at okay so when i mean depth doesn't matter i'm like you look at that sixer series really yeah. the raptors played like five and a half guys and they won right and the sixers played five and a half guys yeah and they almost won you know what i mean yeah. like that doesn't really matter but also if you look at that series and the way it played out Sixers kind of got really tired in Game 7. That's one of the reasons the Raptors won, was that they got like 15 offensive rebounds. Yeah. And that's against a big team. Now, granted, part of that is Nick Nurse um, making the Raptors into a big team by playing big lineups. But also, it was just like, you know what really helped? Serge Ibaka, you know, went from basically being a little bit unplayable to Mm -hmm. like a major contributor. That really helps. Um, And, you know, in terms of depth, I mean, like, again, like, I don't think the Warriors' depth mattered when KD was healthy because we saw when KD was healthy, like, they scored, like, 40 points in that first quarter, and it was (laughs) terrifying. But then he goes out, and all of a sudden the Warriors had the same problem they had all series, which is they literally couldn't put five productive players on the floor together at once. And because of that, they lost. Yeah. So, I don't know. Depth doesn't really matter, but uh, sometimes it really does matter. So, I mean, it's essentially sort of – the trade-off that you make when you acquire elite-level talent, right? And you acquire those big contracts, and now you don't have as much room to sort of fill out the depth. The, Ra- the Raptors were in a for- fortunate situation where, uh, you know, their cabinet was pretty f- full in terms of depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Raptors, like, that Sixers series, it, w- it wasn't necessarily that they had a lack of talent. They just had a lack of sort of the, the right matchups. Right when you when you look at Fred VanVleet not being able to play, you look you look at Norm being, you know, struggling to contribute. You, Bro, you look, Pat McCaw was getting run. Like, yeah, I mean that's I it's, that, that's a series where OG Ananobi would have fit in great. Perfect. Right, um, and so it was unfortunate that they didn't have him. Uh, so again, that, that's the trade off you make when you make when you acquire the elite level talent. Uh, you sacrifice the depth, and now the Warriors are facing the repercussions of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they'll have to see what they can do with going back to just a regular big three. <laughs> wow. I feel so bad for them. A regular big three plus D'Angelo Russell. How could they survive? I, f- I feel like people are lower on the Warriors uh, than people should be. I know, I know their depth is kind of shot. But I just need to know when Clay comes back because otherwise that defense yeah, it, it, is Well, is yeah, I, it, that's the thing. Once once Clay comes back, you still got, you know, Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Um, and... Honestly, this might be the best batch of centers that they've ever had, right? Between, in terms of functioning around Stephen Clay, you got Looney and you got uh, Willie Cauley Stein, which I think should fit in pretty nicely for them. I think so, yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting come playoff time with the Warriors to see what they've got left. But yeah, I think uh, the point you make about depth, you know, in the games where the superstars. Yeah. Uh, are absolute superstars, you know, you're not going to feel that impact as much. Uh, but in the games where maybe they they need that little extra help, like you think about those moments in the Philly series where you were thinking, man, please just survive these two minutes I without Kawhi. Up just those- survive two minutes without Kawhi, and you'll be right there. 
those two minutes at the end of every first quarter <laughs> yeah where like jody meeks would come on uh, for like a minute 30 and like you're the just start sweating. of the fourth you're just so wedding because you know like a 10 point slap is coming in that one minute 30 seconds exactly right so and the same thing for the sixers like literally like Embiid every single time he stepped off the floor and like anybody replaced yeah. him, they were garbage yeah i, I don't understand and so you know, I, I I think the one thing that will help them is Brett Brown's sort of funky rotations, right? Where now I'm sure he'll figure out a way to have Horford or Embiid at center most of the time, and you know that that should help stabilize their bench unit. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't though. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I feel in terms, of, in terms of depth, I feel like honestly the magical number is seven. Mm. Like seven is the perfect amount of guys that you need contributing. Like I thought. Um, you know, when the Raptors really had to just stress on, like, just Kawhi scoring, like, the offense right. was just bad. And it yeah. looked like it honestly wore him out. Like, basically, the midway through that Buck series, Kawhi suffers an injury, and it's like, he's not really the same. If you look at it before that, he was, like, sensational. Yeah. And after yeah. that, he was, like, amazing. Yeah. Uh, but, like, not sensational necessarily. Right. Um, and I feel like seven is probably the right kind of guy. And, and that, that's where the Raptors bench, like, it was usually two of um, – Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet, and Norman Powell contributing at once, yeah. right? Because, uh, you know, when they didn't have that happen, like, against the the, the, the Sixers, like, it was an issue. But mm-hmm. when they had those two other guys step up, you know, they were just straight up better than uh, than what the Warriors are out there and what the Bucks are out there. Another thing that um, really stuck out was there's always a Gerald Henderson type. In these big <laughs> games, there's always a random dude. I'm thinking about Serge Ibaka in Game 7. Yes. Against the the – the, the uh, Sixers. The Sixers, yep. I'm thinking about Fred Van Vliet multiple times, but especially that 7-3 performance he had on the road in Game 5 against the Bucks. Yeah, oh that, my goodness. That is a legendary performance. That, yeah, man. oh my goodness. I mean, that, he's... His playoff run to finish it off uh-huh. and deliver the title, that, that's basically the guard version of Robert Ory. Yeah. It's, that's literally it, right? Like, you, you talk about that 7-3 game. You, t- you talk about the 3-Z hit. In Game Six, yep, in Oakland, I mean, this guy was a stud, and then ch- and and on top of that, to chase Steph around all yeah. game, yeah, man, lock him down, better on yourself, go get that bag. I mean, he's having a good time right now for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, when you when you talk about having those Gerald Henderson types, you know. The Raptors have had that from Norman Powell before. They got it from him against the Bucks again. We only get it from him yeah. against the Bucks, actually. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like, all of a sudden now, everything uh, from the Raptors, to your point about having at least two out of the three perform, you know, every night it's just about getting that little bit extra mm-hmm. from them, right? Because yeah, exactly. you have the superstar talent. Now this season it's going to be more about almost each and every individual leveling up a little bit yeah right to sort of make up for that difference um and then again if pascal can become that real go-to scorer late in games that is going to make a big difference you know because i I still think the ceiling wise they they can probably get to the three seed i think it's wide open between that three and six spot um the east is really bad is what we're trying to say yeah and then when you when you look at things like Embiid's health as well, you know who knows they might even be able to make a run at the two seed. I think Milwaukee's going to run away with. The, yeah, they they, they're the best team in the East. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, you know, I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a real fun year because no one really knows what's going to happen uh, outside of the the Lakers and Clippers just going to war. Basically, I mean the West, the entire West is going to war. Yeah, that's true. Um, and honestly, just to cap off this point about the the Gerald Henderson things. Sergeant Baca had 20 points in game four of the finals, 15 in game five, and then 15 in game six. Like, I, if you're a Warriors fan, you must be so pissed when you see that happen to you. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it is what it is, man. You always need a you always need a hero, and it's always someone unexpected. That's something Alex used to always say. He was like, there's always one unexpected guy that, that shows up. And for the Raptors, consistently they got that kind of performance. Um, you need a lot of luck. And a lot of you luck. Do. You do. And you do. if you look at this playoff run, I'm not – and this, luck is not, like, something that should necessarily take away from what the Raptors accomplished. But, like, you can objectively say that, like, the ball bouncing four times on the rim and falling through is lucky. 
You yeah. know what I mean? There is a modern goal of luck to that. It's not like Kawhi practice bouncing the ball off the rim. You know what I mean? Um, except that game winner against Portland. That was shockingly similar. But um, <laughs> that took some luck. And honestly, you know, Raptors got lucky in the finals too. Like the KD not being available. And then when he comes back, he get, him getting hurt um, is luck. It, yeah. it is, and Clay Thompson basically missing a game and a and a half. I, guess. I mean, the way That's also the luck. way Clay was playing in that game six, it was nasty. Uh, I mean, he was ridiculous. I have so much respect for. I, I love that dude. Yo, there was that one play where he just dribbled on the floor. He was like dribbling to the sideline and decided to just randomly pull just up from thirty five. Yeah, <laughs> that was crazy, man. And so, yeah, you think about what might have happened if he doesn't get injured there, right? But again, the. When you talk about luck being a factor, you can historically look back on big moments where certain things have just changed the tide. Yeah. Right? And people will talk about um, Kyrie and Kevin Love missing uh, that final series against Golden State. 2015. Yeah. People will talk about uh, uh, Draymond, you know. Draymond getting suspended. Bogut. Harrison Barnes turning into... Playoff to Marta Rosen. There was, like it was it was tough in 2016 for the Warriors. Kendrick Perkins missing that game seven against the Lakers. You, so J.R. Smith forgetting the score. Yeah, so that's the thing. You can go. There's an entire list that you can go yeah. down. That's why when people talk about the asterisks, it's it's kind of silly because then you have to do it with literally every finals that's been played. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't really make any sense. Um, but yeah, it's just a factor. It's just a part of sports. I think that that's the best thing. Um, because I I written a thing about the asterisks and and I was talking to Michael Wilbon about it and okay and minor, minor flex <laughs> yeah, talk about it talk about it. I mean that everyone came through for the finals so might as well take advantage right um and he's like you know you just have to accept that injuries are a part of sport you know yeah and part of why you build your how you how you build your roster all of that factors into what comes what happens in June and. You look at the way the Raptors implemented low management with Kawhi. Who's to say that if they didn't, maybe Kawhi doesn't even make it to the finals, right? Yeah. We, we already saw how bad his leg was for sort of pretty much the second half of the playoffs. So if if, if he plays 70, 75 games, what, what does he look like in the playoffs? Yeah. So, you know, those, those are all factors. So ultimately— and, and those are issues for the Clippers to now deal with. Yep. No, it's true. It's not even being salty. I just mean like straight up they need to figure these yeah, things out. No, you have to manage it. And, you know, you don't have um, the the type of uh, sort of low management skills that the Raptors possess in terms of their physical trainer. So yeah. uh, thank God they didn't take him away with him. I, yeah. I was afraid of that for a minute. Yeah, but I mean, Steve Ballmer's got some deep pockets, that's for sure. Yeah, the second Alex put that thought in my head, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, ultimately, you know, luck is just part of sports. Injuries are a part of sports. And, you know, use, using those two things for an asterisk or whatever it may be just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. And unless you're, like, a supremely dominant team, like 2014 Spurs – or like 2017, 2018 Warriors when right. with with KD, like you need luck and things to break your way, yeah. and the Raptors I think breaks their way, and then they capitalize. You know that's it is that's that's what it is. It's, I mean, it's, it's you know, is, it, it's funny. Like it's funny seeing Warriors talk about like, oh, it's unfair. Like man, you're talking about unfair. You got the Marcus Cousins as your fifth best starter. Like get, get the hell out of here. One one thing that is funny to me is you know, obviously that that 2018 Warriors team decimated the Cavs, but. That 2017 Cleveland team, that, that was a great team. That team was insane. That was, that they was went 12-1 great... through, yeah. through the, I think, the East. Maybe yeah, they were 12-0. Yeah. Oh, I'm not even sure. That, that was that. a great team. And, again, you talk about luck. Kyle Korver has a wide-open three in the corner. He, I mean, he, yeah. he knocks that shot down all the time. He makes that shot. You're pretty much looking at a 2-2 series. Right? Yeah. All of a sudden, Kevin Durant comes down the court and knocks down that pull-up three, and it's a different game. Well, he knocks that down. It's a 2-2 series, and who knows what happens from there, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. It, again, it just goes back to your point, man. The, the These little moments that can swing things that you can look back on and pick apart. But, yeah, in the end, the most deserving team wins a championship. And then the last thing, which is something you talked about earlier. You don't really win a title without an all-time great. I, I know there are always exceptions. People always punt to the 0-4 Pistons. 
Sure. There are very, very minor exceptions. I guess if you say the 2014 um, Spurs at that specific time, they didn't have a guy who was currently an top 10 player. They had some former top 10 players and some future top 10 right. players in Kawhi. But, like, they didn't have, like, one definitive guy. They but just like, probably played the most beautiful team basketball ever. 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 Um, but, like, for the most part, it does not happen without an all-time great. Right. And, you know, that's something that it sucks to lose Kawhi for many reasons. But that's main, the main reason is that, like, we saw the Raptors have, you know, a core that was pretty good um, and players that were pretty good. But unless you had that one true star – like it kind of is basketball is kind of reductive like it's not like other team sports where you can sort of it's not like baseball where like no matter how good of a hitter you are you got to wait for eight other guys to hit before you hit again basketball like you have one guy on the floor that can control everything on offense and everything on defense yeah and it's sort of an individual sport within a team sport and ultimately it does come down to who who's your best individual guy and we saw multiple times the, the reason why the raptors were able to get through everything was because you know, one, their supporting staff was really good. Two, their coaching staff, very flexible. But ultimately, number three, most importantly, they had the best player in every single series. Yep. And that, that's just a fact. Yeah. That's and, what got them through. And that's the thing. I mean, basically, the Raptors had the two biggest cliches going for them throughout the entire playoff run, right? They had the play, best player in the series, in every series, and they had the best defense. Yeah. Those are the two biggest cliches. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, the usage being such a big factor with these all-time greats, right? The fact that you play a 48-minute game where that main superstar can play 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 48 minutes if needed. Oh, he played 53 minutes against yeah. the Bucks in that double overtime exactly. game. Exactly. So he nearly died after he dunked on Brogdon. And, and then called out Pascal after, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but, you I wish know. he stayed so bad. <laughs> but you know i think i think that's the biggest difference right like you know a lot of people talk about parody in the nhl and whatnot and you know that's part of that is because the biggest stars they can only play so so many shifts and they're yeah. only on the ice for you know 20-ish minutes out of the 60 right and not so, to get too, too nerdy but like there's more variance that are, that's built into a game where there are five scoring events right than a game like basketball where there are like 200 scoring events right. and then also there's a division in terms of you can score 0 1 2 3 4 mm-hmm. points per possession mm-hmm. whereas in hockey you score 0 and 1 and there's five goals like there's a lot of variance there's a lot of variance in, in soccer as well for that yeah, reason you know exactly yeah so you know that 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 the ability of uh, the best player on a team to influence a game and then the difference that we've seen the top tier elite NBA player that separation that he has from even that next tier, it's palpable. You, you, oh, yeah. It's, it's, a huge, it's a huge difference maker, especially in the postseason. I mean, look at Giannis versus Kawhi, right? Yeah. Like, in the regular season, Giannis MVP. Mm-hmm. No, no real question about it. I don't think Kawhi was even that much in contention for it. Like, nobody voted Kawhi MVP. Right. I mean, part of that was because he missed a bunch of games. Yeah. But still, nobody voted him MVP. And Giannis is like the runaway winner. And then you get him into a playoff setting – and it's like, okay, so Giannis, game one, games one and two, he's doing his thing. He, you know, the Raptors are having a hard time stopping him, and, you know, he's kicking it out and stuff like that. Whatever, things are happening. But then the Raptors are like, you know what? We can just put Kawhi Leonard on Giannis. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we don't need to help us much. We yeah. can help off Eric Bledsoe. We can help off one or two other guys. But for the most part, Kawhi's just going to guard Giannis, and yeah. Giannis is not going to be able to guard Kawhi, and then we're going to win the series. And that's that's where, again, if you have the best player, you can have options like that. Mm-hmm. In a regular team, you can't just, like, even before, you couldn't just ask DeMar DeRozan, like, yo, DeMar, go guard Giannis. Yeah. It was like, Peter Tucker, go guard Giannis. DeMar Carroll, go guard Patrick Patterson, go guard Giannis. Like, and, and you were just sort of making do. Whereas, like, now you can finally say, like, yo, Kawhi, go guard Giannis. Yeah. Shut him down. Yeah. And... Honestly, that's kind of what happened. You know, Giannis had good games because he's still a great player and he's still able to impact. And a couple times he dunked on Kawhi. So I'm like, whatever, that's that's cool. Congratulations. But like, you know, he he there's a, he Kawhi limited what he can do, and, and that's where you have superstar talent. Like, that's such a luxury. Yeah, and and, and I think one thing that stands out because uh, I'm glad you make the point about Giannis. You can throw Harden in that mix as well yeah. with with the way he's been in the playoffs. Even and, Steph to some degree. Yeah. I agree. You know, uh, and you put Fred on him, and it's just different. It's a different guy. You know, I think the thing that stands out is to truly be considered 
at that top peak where LeBron is, where Kawhi is, where Kevin Durant is, is having the ability to manipulate every inch of the court on both ends, right? And you look at their ability to defend multiple positions, and then on offense, literally take whatever the defense gives you. Yeah. No you give, weakness. You give me the mid range, I'll take the mid range. You you, you want to put a small guy on me, I can post him up. You want uh, you want to put a big on me, I can you know take him from up top. It doesn't matter who yeah. you put on them; they find a way to take advantage, right? So I, th- I think that is sort of the separator that maybe Giannis you know is having those nightmares of Gasol and Kawhi. Well, I mean, really, he doesn't have to anymore, but mm-hmm. you know that that's what he's preparing for now, right? How to deal with different situations. Maybe he's recognized now the value of the mid range game, the value of the three-point shot and obviously it's not all going to come in one season but th- I mean, that's it will in 2021 when he's <laughs> this, but. <laughs> but you know it, again that that shows the separation yeah for sure and again i mean this is weird to end on a Kawhi love fest i know some people have some scorn feelings right now probably hard to hear the but like i mean just think of all the Kawhi highlights you know what i mean i mean come on man you, like, brought, a, you brought a chip pull up like, three over Embiid, game four right he has that in this game all the mid-range shots. I mean, remember when he came out against Orlando and he just took like five mid-range shots in a row and it just like yeah. sank every single one? You're like, yeah. oh my God, this is different. The dunk on Giannis. The dunk on Giannis, right? He can definitely go to the rim. The dunks on and beat dunks. Yeah. Multiple dunks. Yeah. Um, the FU threes uh, against the Warriors. Yeah. Game three, third yeah, quarter, third just quarter. pull up on Draymond. Mm, change the game. <laughs> change the game, man. So... Um, yeah, a lot of great things happen, which, you know, to bring us full circle, when uh, Kawhi Leonard comes back on December 11th, you got to just put aside the fact that, yeah, he left Toronto. He, he made a different decision, whatever. He maybe wasn't the best way to handle the whole situation on the way out, but, like, man, he did a lot of great things here. The Raptors won a championship. It was such an unlikely championship. It was such a satisfying championship, and uh, we should all appreciate him for that. And then afterwards, we can boo and make fun of Steve Ballmer or whatever. I could probably make fun of Steve Ballmer anyway. Yeah. Uh, and Paul George's hairline, but um, you know, before that, like we we got first and foremost, we got to thank Kawhi, and uh, yeah, we have a formula now to build another championship. Um, you know, we just gotta get Kawhi back, and then do the rest of this thing. But we we have the points, so <laughs> yeah. That that's this is the type of summer content you get. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of other plugs and things like that, do you have anything to plug or? I mean, everyone. Should, if you if you don't have your ticket yet, you should definitely come to Hoop Talks on Monday. Yes, at, uh, at the rec room. We we've got the Raptors over everything panel going with uh, Alex, Will, Amit, and myself, followed by Nick Nurse, Rowan Barrett, Glenn Grunwald, followed by. <laughs> I, I just put a beep over that. That's a good point. Fifty-seven <laughs> minutes in the. No. Um, yeah, I mean, you know. It'll it'll be a good time, and, and I know we've put on a lot of hoop talks events, but they're they're a really good time. Like asking what has gone to hoop talks, like it's it's just a great way to meet people in the community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's there's good events, a lot of great access. Like if you want to go talk to Nick Nurse, I'm not saying he's going to be available to talk to, you, but like there's a good chance Nick Nurse is walking about, and you just stop him and say like, "Hey, yo, uh, what's your favorite guitar song?" You know what I mean? You yeah. Know, like you could just there's a there's a level of interaction that I think it's just really genuine. It's really organic, and I think. Um, and you know, it's it's worth the price of a mission. Plus, the rec room is really fun. And if you're one of the first fifty people that show up, you can get an arcade wristband, and you can see if you can beat Dan Tolman in a the football game. Uh, Bro, his high score seven hundred. That's seven hundred. That's gonna be tough to do in a two two minute drill. So, uh, check us out. That again, that's at the rec room. Um, you know, the Hoop Talks event is at uh, uh, Monday. August 5th. The rec room downtown, not the one in Mississauga. That's right. That's right. Just FYI. That's right. Why do they have a rec room in Mississauga when they already had Palladium? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you need both, man? Palladium better anyway. That was good. That was good. Um, But yeah, thanks to Vivek for joining me on the podcast. And yeah, the podcast will be back next week when we talk probably more in terms of Canada basketball because that's starting to roll up. So Mm -hmm. look for that. That'll probably be out next Tuesday or Wednesday. But um for now thanks everyone for listening go raptors millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.